Cody Quirk, and welcome back to the Houndswood Unit, my podcast in conjunction with the ACRYPS for current events in radiology. I recently interviewed Dr. Brent Wagner, the Executive Director of the American Board of Radiology, about the ABR core exam, maintenance of certification, and how we got to where we are today. This episode has been broken into two separate podcasts for length. Here, in the first episode, we discuss how we started in the ABR, why board certification is important, and some of the positives and negatives of the oral exam versus the core exam. In the second episode, we will discuss the 2021 administration of exams and what things may look like going forward, including the lessons that we learned from the failure of the American Board of Surgery from this summer. Here is episode one of two. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Wagner. We have Dr. Wagner, the Executive Director of the American Board of Radiology with us today. And um, we're gonna talk a little bit about the ABR core exam and maintenance of certification. Uh, but first, before we get into that, can you kind of give us a little background on how you got started with the, the with the board and how you ended up in the position you're currently in? Yeah, um, many years ago when I was, uh, oh, perhaps, uh, eight or 10 years out of training, I was working at the AFIP and uh, uh, I was asked to be an oral examiner for the, uh, the diagnostic radiology oral exam, which was uh, of course the way we did it back then. And uh, as a result, then that grew into roles on uh, item writing committees to generate items for written exams. Uh, and eventually that grew into, you know, you become committee chair and then, um, and I was asked to be, uh, uh, consider for the Board of Trustees. Uh, I spent uh, nine years on the Board of Trustees and then through a reorganization of the Board of Governors of the American Board of Radiology. And when it came time to, um, you know, there was a vacancy at the executive director uh, position and, and I, you know, something I had never considered, never really was part of the life plan, but uh, it seemed like a natural thing to do. I, I really uh, enjoyed these, these kinds of challenges regarding board certification and uh, you know, as much as anything else, as I say, it was it was completely unplanned. All those steps were not uh, sort of intentional, as in this was some kind of career path. But it it seemed natural, and it and it feels feels natural to be in that position to be able to sort of influence radiology in this way. But I spent the last twenty plus years in private practice uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, so it's a bit of a transition. But at the same time, uh, I'm excited to be here. Great. Um, yeah, I think that uh, your private practice background is brings a little something different to the table in terms of uh, board certification and the ABR. So um, I think that's a, that's a good thing for all of us because um, I, I believe the ABR has taken a little bit of criticism for being a little too academic. Uh, I, I'm an academic radiologist, so um, I, uh, I can kind of understand where that's coming from. Um, but so you kind of got started as an oral examiner, it sounds like, and then slowly evolved into question writing and kind of eventually worked your way up to, towards the top. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's every stage of that, every step was, was a pleasure, uh, all different uh, sort of activities, but uh, related to the same sort of goal um, related to board certification. Yeah, and from, from the board certification standpoint, you believe that you have a good, uh, basically, platform to help steer radiology in a specific direction? 
Yeah, I think it, it really, um, you know, fundamentally, it really gets back to sort of the mission. And, and uh, our mission is extremely focused for a radiology organization. Uh, you know, we're not really involved in education per se. We're really involved in, in uh, uh, sort of an obligation to the public to make sure that uh, board certified individuals are, are distinctive in their skills, uh, their competence, their knowledge base, uh, their professionalism. And, and uh, as a result, we then lend value to the profession itself. You know, as, uh, you know, and I confess I didn't know this when I first joined the, the board of trustees uh, about a decade ago, that the boards were formed by the professionals themselves. Uh, you know, the, the goal was to set us, you know, the, you, and, you and I as radiologists uh, or radiology professionals, set us apart from others uh, based on our training and our expertise. And, and that fundamental piece really um, is in the long-term interest of the profession because without that distinction of what board certification means, uh, you know, anyone could call themselves a radiologist, for example. And, and in fact, if you go back at, and uh, I'll borrow this from the pediatrics board, uh, they make a point uh, of saying that in, in the early 1930s when their board was formed, if you wanted to be a pediatrician, you just have to call yourself a pediatrician. And, and it's really true of any specialty. And, and over the first half of the 20th century, we saw this evolution toward um, board certification, a formalized process to allow individuals to document by virtue of their training and their knowledge, that is usually by way of an exam, that they are different from other practitioners in the field. So how do you balance the, uh, basically what the public deems as a competent radiologist, um, especially a public who may not even know exactly what a radiologist does um, and, and how to evaluate those radiologists? Yeah, that's especially a challenge for radiology, isn't it? Because we're, we're sort of once removed in a, in a lot of practices. I mean, there are, there are obviously niche areas in interventional radiology, for example, or, or people who do breast imaging and, and, and uh, a lot of the interventions around that. And, and all of us, in one degree or another, of course, are in some way connected to a patient at one time or another. But you're right, it's different from being in primary care in, in one of the specialties because the patient doesn't really see what we do. And in that respect, perhaps it's more important that we have the sort of the board certification rigor around what we do so that the public can be reassured that the, the individual who's interpreting their study, who they usually don't see, of course, in, in most areas, at least in diagnostic radiology, uh, that they're in a position to trust that that individual has been appropriately uh, deemed you know, uh, knowledgeable and competent and skilled in the profession that they're, um, uh, that they're offering in, in, in to those patients. So it's an interesting point because uh, the public in general, and I've only encountered this fairly recently when people ask, what do you do? You know, and, and, and of course my new role, but even before that, when I was on the board, the public is unaware these boards exist. And it's an interesting uh, paradox in some way. You know, when I get on an airplane and I look uh, to my left as I get on the aircraft and I see the pilot sitting there, I don't question whether or not that pilot has been adequately retested because you know, they frequent uh, testing as part of maintaining their ability to fly under the FAA rules. Um, I don't question that, I assume it. And, and it's interesting, the public does the same thing with doctors. Uh, they assume that you're at the top of your game, that you are keeping up with available information, that you're, you're doing your best to pursue excellence in, in the craft and, and in the profession that, we, uh, that we're in. Uh, and that, that was an interesting revelation to me because I would mention this at a cocktail party or to friends on, on health system boards, et cetera. And they just assume that, sure, every doctor would want to do this, would want to be 
uh, at their peak and, and doing the best they could possibly do. Um, so it is interesting that the public generally doesn't recognize board certification per se because it's based on an assumption that they have uh, rather than direct knowledge. And, and they would assume that you are board certified because you practice radiology. Yeah, I think I think that's an important point to make is that the even though the public may not know much about board certification or, or radiology in general, they do expect their physicians to have their uh, be up to date on their with their knowledge and their practice skills. Mm -hmm. um, so right. I think that's a great point to bring up there. Um, so how do we how do you go about determining what a competent radiologist is from the, the core exam standpoint and then the um, certification as well? Uh, good question, because when we remember the board certification course is really two processes, right? It's the training coupled with the exam. So you can't just do the training and not do the exam, nor can you just show up and take the exam without having gone through, uh, in, in our case, ACGME accredited, for the most part, it's, there are a couple exceptions, but for the most part, that's the pathway to board certification. It's that combination. So as you know, for diagnostic radiology, and I'll just pick on that one, because that's most of, of uh, the people that we certify. Um, you know, that's a, a one-year internship before your residency and then uh, two, two examinations that uh, follow. Uh, the, so the idea is behind the residency courses over time, over four years, you know, your, your faculty judge, you know, they, they, they basically assess you, right? They give feedback and they look for gaps in knowledge and gaps in skills and, and competence. Um, the, the idea of the exams is to standardize that in some way because any two residencies might be different. Right, you know, you take a, an urban residency in, in New York City, you compare it to a Midwestern uh, community-based program. Um, you know, in theory, the program requirements would dictate that those are the same, and, and that there are, there are base program requirements. But beyond that, you know, how active is the teaching? Um, you know, which one has more committed faculty? And, and I'm not saying it would be one versus the other, but the idea is the exam then standardizes that because it brings it back to the idea that no matter where you do your residency, you still have to pass the exam, right? You have to demonstrate that you have the knowledge base. And the exams are imperfect. Uh, and, and I'll admit that because they're uh, structured in a way that's practical to get at statistical validity and what it, of course, usually incur. Uh, uh, consists of for diagnostic radiology is multiple choice questions. Well, that's not how we practice and, and we all understand that, but it's a, it's a practical way to assess knowledge and knowledge is a pretty good surrogate for uh, skill and competence in, in clinical practice. Um, and it's not a perfect uh, match, but it's a pretty good match. So people who tend to be knowledgeable tend to be better at, at what they do professionally. We couple all that with the, the training and uh, successful completion of the residency with or without a fellowship. And that's what constitutes board certification. Um, and so it's really the two pieces that are important, the standardized piece of the exam plus the, the long-term longitudinal four-year program of, of the residency. So even though a the core exam uh, doesn't per se test every skill a radiologist needs to have, communication skills and uh, ability to kind of think on your feet whenever you need to do a wet read, you um, you you combine that with the ACGME requirements of a residency to kind of round out and make a, a fully competent radiologist. And that's an excellent way to put it. And, and, and we trust that the programs in, in graduating that resident have have established, you know, through the milestones, as you say, 
that uh, that that resident is competent, that they are capable of, of communication, that they are capable of judgment, that is difficult to to test for in, in any real practical, standardized, objective way. Um, yet on top of that, we want to make sure that they accrued sufficient knowledge to be able to apply those same skills, that, that professionalism, the judgment, the, the communication, um, and, and fundamentally, of course, the, the image-based nature for diagnosis radiology, the image-based nature of the test, in fact, does test at, at a slightly higher level because it requires some level of synthesis as well, not just straight book knowledge. Uh, the exams, of course, now uh, in diagnostic radiology are, are largely weighted toward image-based uh, content and uh, and that's really what we're trying to assess is can that individual interpret diagnostic images um, to establish that competence. So we've seen kind of with the USMLE step one switching to a pass fail. Um, there's, I think there's a little bit of anxiety about from, from program directors out there who have seen all this data about how uh, step one scores correlate with uh, pass rates on the core exam. And so as they, they advertise their programs, they don't, nobody wants to be the one that said, oh, we have an 80% pass rate instead of 100% pass rate. So how, is there a way that we can kind of um, take that anxiety away from them or, or try to help out in that situation? Well, this certainly is a challenge for the, um, for the programs. I mean, when that was announced uh, you know, not too long ago that they were gonna go to a pass-fail score system, I, I was thinking about especially the more competitive specialties and how they were going to to be able to do this because you're right there is a, a very close correlation and and some people say it's it's uh you know related to test taking ability and, and there almost certainly is some of that i think beyond that uh there's a pretty good correlation between you know what you know and, and the knowledge that goes into both of those exams uh, and and honestly i'm not sure how uh, you know i think looking to the future it is interesting because the programs are judged in, in one respect on the success their residents have on on the exams, but at the same time, you know the the um, the listing exam step one didn't do away with the test. They still said it, it was still an important test. It's just that it's binary, and of course that's what we use as a binary test, right? It's pass fail. Yeah. So uh, so I'm not sure that there's there's an inherent disconnect, although it does make it more of a challenge. I think uh, I suppose if you were really just targeting your, your residents. You know, perhaps this is an improvement in that there will be other factors that go into making up that individual. Um, but it, it was nice, wasn't it, when you had this, this sort of objective yeah. measure that you could reasonably rely on. Um, however imperfect it was, it, it in fact was objective and it was a, a, an aggregate, of course, a, a pretty good predictor. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, as I say, that no one's really abandoned that objective assessment of knowledge, they merely said that the quantification of it was maybe where the flaw was. And, and that pass-fail closely mimics, you know, our pass-fail pass scoring model. I, I think I, that's my personal opinion as well as that the, it will benefit the specialty overall to, to kind of select more for people who are truly passionate and interested in radiology. But I do think that that disconnect uh, there will be maybe an issue for the next few years as we try to kind of reevaluate how we select residents essentially. Um, so kind of going on from there, what would you, if you were to design the perfect sort or basically the perfect core exam, would it look like it does today? Or do you think it needs to, to evolve a little bit more to, um, to be a little bit better? Well, I, um, 
it's difficult because there are constraints around what would make up the perfect exam. I mean, quite honestly, in, in you're right, in, in a perfect exam, what I like to see are more elaborate uh, models of testing that would really get a differential diagnosis in a better way. And we are working on changes to item types as question types that would really delve into the ability to, to form a differential diagnosis because the, the raw multiple choice question, although psychometrically is, is valid, they're, they're easy, they're very standard, and they fit well into the, the paradigm. Um, the fact is it, it's, it's an area that is, is inadequate. Um, interestingly, you know, these constraints include the amount of time it takes to take the exam. And uh, so from, again, from a sort of statistical standpoint, if I were trying to measure multiple parameters, I'd want a week-long test. And that's just not practical. I mean, it's not reasonable to have somebody sit down for, for five days to do this. As you know, the, the exam now is about 650 questions. And, um, and we're trying to administer that in a way that is, that is reasonable. I mean, there, there aren't trick questions. There aren't um, really uh, too many variations on the theme. The, the questions are fairly structured so that the instrument itself doesn't become a distraction, right? Because we want to be fair. We want to test knowledge and not test well, how, how good are you at taking tests. Um, but you're right, if, if I were to design it differently, unfortunately, it would bump up against these constraints. It would be longer. It would require some level of subjective scoring, which means I would need more data points to separate out sort of the, the high performers from the low performers. Um, you know, looking back at the oral, that was an imperfect exam as well. And, and there were reasons uh, actually just before my time and joining the board to, to move away from the oral exam, but it was actually a pretty good test. It got at some of these nuances, but there were also questions of bias and, and uh, things like that. So, so I think we're in a pretty good place. I'll, I'll tell you the biggest improvement was really when it went from a paper-based exam, which of course existed in the 90s and, and before, to a computer-based exam, the images came out. In, in the sense that, hey, we're really testing, you know, if I were hiring a radiologist or I wanted to work alongside a radiologist, I would want to know that they can interpret images, that they, they know the difference between a meningioma and a glioma, that they can um, tell a subdural from an epidural, a renal cell carcinoma from an angiomyelipoma. I mean, the kinds of things that are just bread and butter radiology, regardless really of your subspecialty. And, and, and the test really does that. It, it really does a, a good job at kind of saying, can you have you seen enough of these and you understand the principles behind the imaging to be able to make these differentiations? And, and beyond that, I, I, uh, you know, I'm reluctant. I, you're right, in a perfect world, we'd have a, a five-day test. We'd have subjective measures. We'd have a mix of, of sort of uh, recitation versus uh, really recognition. Um, but I think as it exists now, it's, it's not too bad. Incidentally, the remote exams we're talking about for next year uh, will, will hold to that same theme because we don't want to change doing things at one time. We have time we can talk about remote exams a little later but but we're going to hold to more or less the same thing as we, we really don't want to you don't want to make too many adjustments at once without knowing what those uh unintended consequences might be yeah i think we we hear a lot of positives about the old oral exam uh, i personally took the core and certifying exam but uh regularly heard from attendings how much better it was in the old days with the oral exam and how much better of a test that was but like you were saying, uh, I think there were some issues with that as well. Uh, and we have to make it as equitable as possible for, for everyone from every program. Right, right. And, and in fact, that exam also suffered from the same, you know, if you were good at test taking, meaning if, if you were almost good at conversation, you could make up for a lack of knowledge with that. And, and, and now, of course, you, know, you could argue still test taking is, 
is part of this. We hope it's not a big part, but um, but those skills, they were just different skills. Yeah, and, I, uh, and I think if you're if you're standing there in front of like just as an MSK example, because I'm an MSK radiologist, standing there in front of Dr. Resnick trying to take a case, that would be completely different than testing knowledge on a on the multiple choice format that we currently have. Right, right, and 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 whether you know what are the advantages or the disadvantages of both. I mean, I think the stress of actually standing there was for some people that was terribly disruptive, and and you know for those that, you know who who didn't mind that yeah it was a stressful day but if, if you could adjust to that the fact is you had an advantage even though your knowledge might not have been any more than that other person who was not sort of equipped to deal with the, the stress of that one-on-one -on -one interaction um, throughout the day so you